So, no kids tonight, huh? What are you eating? <laughs> so I took a survey as I greeted some of you coming in the door, and some of you smell really, really good. Um, I'm wearing Armani tonight in celebration of Karen and our, um, don't tell me, I know this, we've been married 17 years now. She likes Armani, and, and so it goes well with me when I'm wearing Armani. So, you know, it's why I do it, right? <laughs> I think, um, you know, if you're going to live in Milan, uh, if you go downtown, some of these folks are really into fragrance. You, do you guys know what I mean? I mean, the women obviously are into fragrance, but the men are into fragrance too. Some of these folks, you can smell them like a block away, and after they pass you, you can, you can smell them for another block. And you kind of wonder, how do they breathe in there? But um, so it's a big deal. If you're in Milan, you probably should, you know, at least buy some cheap cologne or perfume. Um, so what's this got to do with anything, Jim? <laughs> um, it's my introduction. You know that aroma and fragrance is a big deal with God, right? And when I read the text this evening, which I haven't read to you yet, have I? Which I'll stop and read. But when I read it, I realized that Jesus is inviting us into that, that 2 Corinthians thing that Paul talks about, smelling like God. It's like Jesus is saying, okay, you want to see me? You want to know me? You want to go with me? This is what it's like. This is what your life will smell like. This is the aroma of a true disciple, okay? So let's just stop. Let me stop and read the text. If you don't mind, let's stand and let me read the text. I apologize. I forgot to do that. Okay, I'm almost 63, so it happens. Um, John 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was, with, uh, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and they told Jesus. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You may be seated. So, fragrance is a big deal to God. If you've read the Old Testament, you realize uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Jesus... Uh, the Lord is always talking about sacrifice, right? And what does He say? It's a sweet what? It's a sweet fragrance to Me. It's a sweet aroma unto Me. Your worship, your sacrifice, your offerings, it's a sweet fragrance and aroma to Me. It's a sweet scent to Me. This is all through the Old Testament. And of course, Paul builds on this metaphor in 2 Corinthians when he talks about our lives and our worship, 
being an aroma to God. Okay? Just like, the, just like the Old Testament sacrifices, your life is to be an aroma to God and an aroma of God. Okay? An aroma to God is worship and an aroma of God to the world, right? My seminary professor used to say it all the time. I loved it when he said it. Of course, this is where he's getting it. He said, you know, he'd, he'd encounter some godly man or woman. He'd say, man, that guy smells like God. And some people that you encounter, that's exactly the reaction they have. They, they, they spend a few minutes with you and they hear the way you speak and the, the way you act and the things you do and the things you refuse to do and they realize that you smell like God, right? This is a big deal with the Lord. This aroma of your life. So this is what I'm going to ask you tonight as we go through the text. What is the aroma of your life? What is it? Is it an aroma to God? And is it an aroma of God to those around you? Let me read 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 16 where Paul talks about this. Paul says, Thanks be to God who manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him. Where? In church. No, what does he say? The sweet knowledge of the aroma of Him. Where? In every place. Okay, I'm just guessing. Some of you are not taking Christ every place. Paul says, we are the sweet aroma of Christ in every place. Alright? It's a big deal. You don't, you don't, you're not understanding what Paul's saying if you don't understand. He's saying, take Jesus with you everywhere you go. Smell like God everywhere you go. He continues, for we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. The saved smell you. They smell God on you. And they rejoice, right? Isn't it a wonderful thing? Uh, Joe was telling me, isn't it a wonderful thing to, to, to be in a strange place but to find a brother and a sister, right? To fellowship and you know, delight in God together. It is an amazing thing. And then he goes on, and among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. We're like those folks, the beautiful people downtown Milan. You know, you're supposed to have like an aroma field around you, right? People smell God off your life. They smell God off your speech. They smell God off your deeds. You smell like Jesus. It's what Paul is talking about. We are a fragrance of Christ to God. This is the most important aspect of our Christian faith. Let me just read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. I love it. He says, Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Amen? Okay, I'm challenging you here. Is that true for you? Where you work? Where you go to school? At the aperitivo? Whatever? Is it true? People breathe in the exquisite fragrance because of Christ we give off a sweet scent rising to God. It's, it, it, we, it's worship to God and it's witness to the world. Okay, It's two things. All right? Which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. An aroma perfumed with life. But you heard the text read there in 2 Corinthians 2.16. But not everybody's interested. Some people smell death on you. 
They smell their own death on you. This is what, this is what Paul is saying. This is why some people won't have anything to do with you once they smell God on you. Once they smell Jesus on you, they don't want it. Why do they not want it? They smell their own death. Right? They smell their own death. It's why people come to ICM sometimes and they never come back. Because we actually preach, you know, the biblical Jesus, not the cartoon one. And people, some people love the cartoon Jesus, but they don't want anything to do with the biblical one. They don't ever come back. They smell their own death. Right? It's exactly what Paul is talking about. It's why unbelieving spouses leave their believing spouses. It's why some just will not have anything to do with you. I, I can see it on people's faces. You know, when people come in here and, and uh, you know, they're new and they come in, they sit down and, and I start preaching. <laughs> I can see it on their face. Not always, but so I get some of the worst facial expressions you can imagine sometimes. <laughs> and I'll tell Karen, I say, well, I don't think they're going to come back. Um, I think they were smelling their own death, right? And they're not interested in the life God gives. They're interested in, you know, manufacturing some kind of little teeny life for themselves, but they're not really interested in the life that God is offering in the Scripture. So, tonight Jesus is going to talk about, the, the, I guess, the essence of what it means to be a sweet fragrance to God and what that looks like in the world, okay? This is what I believe the text will be saying to us. It doesn't hurt to put a little Armani on on the way out, but really the point here for us is it's imperative that we put on Christ. Okay? We put on Christ. And you take Him every place. Not just the church. Not just the Bible study. I wear Him wherever I go. So as we continue in John 12, Jesus is only days from the cross. He has come in. We saw it last week. He's come into the city amidst the cheers of the people and the praise of the people and the anticipation of the people. But within a few days, they will be shouting to crucify Him. They proclaimed Him Messiah, and now they want to kill Him as a common criminal. Why did this happen? You all know, if you're biblically literate, you understand. They wanted the cartoon Jesus. They wanted the cartoon Messiah. They wanted the Messiah they wanted, not the Messiah God had. The Messiah they wanted was the political, military uh, hero, deliverer uh, from Rome, right? They wanted the, the that's, that's the Messiah they wanted. Of course, God is always thinking bigger. This will be a shock to some of you. God's always thinking bigger than you. Okay, can I get an amen on that? He's always thinking bigger than you think, right? These, the Jews were disappointed that he wasn't a military hero and a political deliverer, right? God's thinking way bigger. God is thinking way bigger. So they will reject God. He didn't really fit their, their standards. So Jesus enters Jerusalem on Monday. He cleanses the temple uh, as well. Uh, what's happening to, to, uh, in our text tonight is happening on Tuesday. Again, this is His final 
week of life. We saw in the text here, verses 20 to 22, that there are some Greeks. Now, we saw this in verse 19 last week, although I don't think I covered it. Uh, the Pharisees were saying to one another, you see, you are not doing any good. Look, the whole world is going after him, right? <laughs> okay. The Pharisees were getting very frustrated. Uh, of course, they, they hated him and they wanted to kill him. And the whole world was praising him as he comes into Jerusalem. Probably, probably a million people in that gathering. Uh, two million in the city for the feast. So, Verse 20, the Greeks want to see him, right? The whole world is coming after him. Which obviously, this is hyperbole, but the Greeks want to see him. And so Philip and Andrew, they tell, they tell Jesus. So, I read this little piece of the Scripture here and I thought, this is not meaningful to me. <laughs> okay, do, do you read the Bible sometimes and you struggle with, how it applies to you. Uh, these first three or four verses here. Let me just say three things about that. Obviously, you're not alone in this. All of us at times read the Scripture and we're not quite sure what we're supposed to take from it. But my point is this. What you have to do is when you encounter Scriptures like that is to just simply work on it, right? So you're not alone in that. But the Bible is the Word of God. Of course you don't understand it all the time. How could you? You've got the eternal communicating with the temporal. You've got the infinite communicating with the finite. You've got the holy communicating with the sinful. You would not expect, I would think, that you would always understand everything God is saying in His Word. At first blush. You just won't. This is normal. Don't be frustrated. Okay? You have to give yourself to the study of the Bible. The Bible is not like McDonald's. You can't drive through. You don't get to drive through. If you want God, you have to go to work. If you want to know God, you have to work. You have to be in the Word. I was sharing with someone earlier. I think it was Joe again. Sorry, Joe. Um, I think I'm in the pasture because I'm weak. I was confessing to Joe, you know, I, I think I might not be in the Word like I ought if I weren't in the pastorate. I'm thankful I'm in the pastorate because I am forced to always be in the Word. Maybe some of you need to be in the pastorate. <laughs> so you'll be in the Word like you ought. Listen, you can't do discipleship if you're not in the Word looking at God always full of awe and humility. If you're looking at God, you will be filled with awe and you will be filled with humility. It's just the natural side effect of being in the Word of God. So I looked at this text and I didn't fully understand it. Then I saw it, right? Uh, to me, these first three or four or five verses, God's plan of salvation, it, it was never simply for the Jews. You guys know this if you're biblically literate. It always included the Gentiles, right? And here they come. Here the Greeks come. This beautiful Old Testament, New Testament truth. God is going to save a people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. It's not just about the Jews. It's about the whole world. This is big. Okay? This is big. 
And so I begin to worship about that, right? <laughs> right? I saw it. God's come for me. God's come for me. This, that, that, that's what I saw in these first four verses. God's come for me. He's come for the Gentiles. And so the Greeks, they want to see Jesus. How does Jesus show Himself? What does the text say? How does Jesus show Himself? The same way He shows Himself to you. How's that? Through His teaching. Right? You want to see Jesus? Be in the Word. You know, people say, I want Jesus. And they never open their Bible. And I'm saying, no, you don't want Him at all. That's where He is! That's where He reveals Himself. Right here! Okay? In the Bible! It's His gift to you! It's His gift to all mankind! You want to see Jesus? Go read His words. Go read His words. It's where He reveals Himself. So, Jesus reveals Himself in the self-revelation of Scripture. So I'll just ask you, are you receiving Jesus? Or are, I can say it this way, you say, Jim, I don't like it when you talk strong. Well, too bad. You can receive Jesus in the Word or you can ignore Him. You say, well, that's not exactly what I mean when I fail to pick up the Bible. That's not what I intend or mean. It's what you are, in fact, communicating. I have more important stuff to do than to see and listen to Jesus. Listen, all I'm trying to do is encourage you, right? You need to be in the Word if you're going to be a real Christian. Because you certainly can't do faith without being in the Word. Verses 23 to 26. The, the Greeks come and Jesus just starts teaching, right? He just starts teaching. You heard me read the text. I won't reread it. He says, the hour has come for Him to be glorified. And I think the Jews and the, the Greeks, the knowledgeable Greeks that are standing around Him are thinking, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. It's time to be glorified. I think this is why Judas has been hanging around for a couple of years. He's been waiting for, you know, the glory. Here comes the glory. They're getting pretty jazzed about it, I think. Some of them would know Daniel 9.14, which reads, And the one like a son of man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. I think it's why Judas was hanging around. He wanted some of that earthly glory, right? He wanted to be in on that. He wanted to taste that and be a part of that. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Where do I sign up for that, right? It just made me think, I'm sorry, I know I bring it up a lot, but it's so pervasive I have to. Um, it just makes me think of how the, the biblical message is prostituted in much of what is called the church today, right? It's just a false gospel. It's, it's a how God can please you gospel. It's a how you can use God to have health, wealth, and prosperity. It's how you can manipulate God. I 
hate this. With all my soul I hate it. And if you love Jesus, you should hate it too. Because it's a false gospel. It's just a false gospel, beloved. So, Jesus is not that kind of preacher. <laughs> He's not appealing to anybody's flesh, right? He's going to make that real clear in the next verse or two. He's not appealing to anybody's flesh. He doesn't tickle anybody's ears. He's not trying to win anybody on, you know, the appeals of the flesh. I love the red words. This is truth. He just says, here is truth. Not a quarter of it, not half of it, not nine-tenths of it, but all of it. My seminary professor used to call these preachers, these false preachers that are so prevalent in, all over the world, he would call them posers. I don't know if you guys know this word. They posed as a preacher, right? They posed as a Christian, as a disciple, as a servant of God. And the problem is, many of you think if some guy calls himself a preacher, he is one. Um, listen, what you have to do is what I tell you to do. You don't believe what I say because I say it, because I'm a preacher. You, you believe what I say because you can see it in the text. Okay? My opinion is worthless. What you need to know is God's opinion. And so, it's up to you to sit under good teaching and good preaching. Don't sit under a poser. Now, we know what verse 24 means. This truly, truly thing, right? We, we've seen this over and over in the Gospel of John. Jesus is saying this is urgently important for you. In verse 24, Jesus is talking about His death. He says, "...unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit." Jesus is beginning to say, here's the aroma of God. It's my death. And then He's going to say in the next verse, it's your death too. This is what it smells like. Okay? This is what real Christianity smells like. Not a lot of people are interested in that. I get it. I've been in this business for a while. I get it. Most people aren't. I'm always a little surprised when someone is. I'll be honest with you. You know? So, as he continues to develop this truth, we'll see how strong his teaching is. So Jesus says, my pathway to glory, it goes through a cross. Do you want to see that? Do you want to follow me there? Do you really... You know, talking to the Greeks, do you really want to see me? That's what it means. That's what it means. So we're talking about the death of Jesus here, but in this word picture, but it's the primary qualification of every true Christian. You remember how Paul says in Galatians 6.14, Paul says, the world has been crucified to me. Is that true? I'm just going to ask you. Is that true in your life? He goes on. I have been crucified to the world, he says. It's all dead to me. Remember what he says in Philippians? We talked about the other evening. You know, 
everything he loved and treasured and 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 pursued the whole of his life to be a perfect Pharisee, when he came into relationship with Jesus, he says, this is done to me. This is done to me compared to Jesus Christ. So in verse 24, Jesus is re- referring principally to His own death. And in His death, He will bring much fruit, many adopted sons and daughters into the kingdom. It made me think of John 10, which we covered some weeks ago. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. It's what He's talking about here again. And then in verse 25, He separates the sheep from the goats, right? <laughs> okay? He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. So Jesus, verse 24, He's going to lay it down, and then verse 25, He says, My people lay it down. I lay down my life for my people. My people lay down their life for me. We're not simply talking about martyrdom here. Most Christians won't be martyred. But I lay all of my life down. I give up all of my life in service to Jesus Christ. He's my God. He's my Redeemer. This is the point. So the pretenders and the false disciples, the nominal lukewarm Christians and the posers, they're not going to be around much longer. They're going to be out of here real quick, right? (laughs) They're not going to hear this. They can't hear this. They're hearing their own death. They're not hearing what they want to hear. They're hearing and smelling their own death. So, Jesus says, for all who want to see Me, uh, for all who really want to know Me, the truth about Me will become the truth about you. You will lay down your life for Me. Not in a you know, martyrdom sense. Some Christians obviously have been martyred down through the history of the church, and some continue to be martyred. But that's not... The point is, you're... you're the point is that your life is given over to me. I truly am Lord. You know, it's not just a nice title that I know I should call him. It's actually a fact, right? I do what he says. He's Lord. He's just, he's my God, and I do what he instructs me to do. And so we follow Jesus in this. What does Romans 8.29 said? We are to be conformed to what? to the image of Jesus. And He's going to say it down here in the next verse. He says, you know, if you follow Me, you'll be where I am. You'll look like, you know, your life will look like mine in one sense. I mean, this is a huge verse. These these three or four verses here are simply huge as God separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 25, he's talking about all the people who truly love him and who truly come to him. I can, I can now, I, you know, after he says this, I can see, I can see Philip and Andrew turning now and looking at the Greeks and saying, "You want some of that? Is that what you want? Or are you just entertained with all the the miracles? Right? You just want some more miracles. You just want some power. You just want to make your life better. You just want to add God. You just want to add blessing to your life. What do you want? What do you really want from Jesus? You can't listen. You can fool me, I can fool you, but you cannot fool God. What who, what do you really want from him? What do you really want from him? So, 
Some of us grew up in churches that didn't preach the whole truth. It has been watered down. It has been changed. It is a false gospel in many, many, many places. But here is biblical Christianity. Verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 12. And don't let anyone else tell you it's less than this. It's no less than this. It's no less than this. How passionate is it? He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. I think we talked about this either a sermon or two ago or in young adult Bible study. I can't remember. I'm 63, so, you know, forget about it. Um, this, is, this, this phrase is mentioned six times in the Gospel. There, you, you prove me wrong if you can't. I can't find anywhere else... I can't find any statements of Jesus that are repeated six times in the Bible. You think they have some significance for you? If it's repeated six times in the Word of God, six times? I'll give it to you quickly. Matthew 10.38, Matthew 16.25, Mark 8.35, Luke 9.24, Luke 17.33, and here in John 12.25. You know, it's a truly, 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 truly thing. Right? That's what this text is. Did I get, did I get six? Seven. Oh, well, okay. Edit that last one. I was trying to get six. Okay. Thanks, Leon. Appreciate it. Um, so, I'm going to turn. If you, you can go with me there if you'd like. I'm going to turn it to Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus says it here, and he says it in a really powerful way. So, I'll just, instead of going to all these other texts, we'll just look at one text. I'm going to begin Matthew 16, verse 22. You know, Peter took Jesus aside when Jesus started talking about his own death. And Peter said, forbid it, Lord. God forbid. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus says, shut up. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Here's the problem. There are times when you're setting you know, your mind on your interests and not on God's interests. And every true believer struggles with this. Right? But you've got to put it down, man. You've got to put your stuff down. So, Jesus says, let me read it to you. Verse, let, me, let me go on. I'm going to pick up here. Okay, just, yeah. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake, he shall find it. Jesus says this is what it smells like. It smells like a man picking up his cross. This is what it smells like. This is the aroma that you give to God in worship. This is the aroma you give to mankind. As you smell like God. So here's what you have to decide. And I'm going to further, further develop uh, the text here um, in verse 25 in a moment. But here's what you have to decide. Does that sound like gain or loss to me? When, when, when Jesus, the red words, when Jesus says something like, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it, is that gain or loss to you? Does that sound like gain or loss to you? 
Okay, you know, hey, we can really uh, check ourselves right here tonight. Right here, we can check ourselves. Is that gain or loss? The unbeliever hears loss. The unbeliever smells his own death. The unbeliever is not interested in this kind of talk. True believers hear him talking about talking like this, and they hear with some trembling, they hear gain. So this is said six times, you know, in the Gospels. It's a bit cryptic about saving and losing your life and about losing our lives for the sake of Jesus. Okay, here's Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from three of these texts, and I'm just going to read it to you because I think it really helps us understand exactly what's being said. Peterson says, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. I think that's beautiful. Then he says, if you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you let, let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms. And then he says, anyone who holds on to the life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. That's it, beloved. This is a huge invitation. This is a huge <clears throat> invitation. When Jesus says, take up your cross, I think we said it in the last few weeks in young adults, there's no mistaking what Jesus means. He's talking about your death. There is a death. There is a death. We die before we can ever really live. It's just the way Jesus talks in the Bible. So is Jesus talking about death or life? What's He talking about? Yes. He's talking about your death in the flesh and your life in the Spirit. That's what He's talking about. That's what's being said here. It's a death to loving the world more than loving God. It's a death to desiring stuff more than desiring God. It's a death to desiring success more than desiring God. It's a death to pettiness and superficiality and you know, vanity and ego and self-absorption <clears throat> and being raised up into the life of God. You guys know Romans 6.4, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. It's why we do full immersion here. You know, this is, this is what the Bible teaches, full immersion baptism. He goes on, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's John 3. It's the born again thing. And so let me just review verse 25. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. If your whole life is about here, you're going to lose your whole life because you are going to die soon. You are vapor upon the earth as compared to eternity past and eternity future. You are a vapor. If you've given yourself to this world, you will lose it all. You will lose it all. And Jesus is saying, you've never lived and you never will live until you die to yourself and you come to Me. This is the Gospel. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for My sake shall find it. 
If you've repented of loving yourself and the world more than loving God, if you've repented, then you are beginning to find your life. If you've lost your old life without Jesus and you're embracing the new life with Jesus, you're beginning to live for the very first time. Jesus is saying, if you've found your life in Me, <laughs> you will begin to live and never stop beginning to live. I like to say it like this, you know. It's not simply that you begin to live, you never stop beginning to live. It's always new. For being eternities, it's always new. Jesus says, follow Me. Lose your life. Find your life. Yes, both things. Lose your life. Find your life. It's what God is talking about. It's about dying to dead things and being resurrected to, to, to the life of God. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Genuine Christians come to understand that in Jesus Christ, we lose what we lose is the death that masquerades as life. You know, we talked about this some weeks ago with, when C.S. Lewis makes that dichotomy between bios life and zoe life, right? Yeah, you're inhaling and exhaling. But if you don't know Christ, you don't know anything about living. Inhaling and exhaling, brain waves, and a pulse, has nothing to do with living in the way that Jesus is talking about it, right? So... Big deal. This is a big deal. In Christ, we discover that the life we thought we had wasn't life at all. It's a cartoonish counterfeit. <laughs> okay? <laughs> As we begin to follow and obey Him, we begin to taste life for the first time. And I'll give you a, a testimony as an old man. I've been a Christian 35 years. And I was converted at 28. So I, I experienced all the cool stuff you know, that the world says is going to make you happy. I'd experienced all of it. And it was all garbage compared to Jesus Christ. I, I'm, I'm telling you as an old man, it's all dung compared to the Lord Jesus. So, in Christ, we begin to see human life for what it really is. It's this like vapor-like moment enveloped between eternity past and eternity future. Do you really want to live for this moment? Is that what you want? You want to live for this moment? You're going to invest 100% in this moment as opposed to eternity future, which by definition never ends? It's like Francis Chan, you know, we were in studying his book when he sold his house and some Christians said he sold his house because he wanted to give more away and, and some Christians said, well, that's, that's not wise. Why are you doing that? That's, you, you're not thinking about your family, blah, blah, blah. He's critiqued. <laughs> and he said, they said, that's crazy, Francis. You shouldn't do that. He goes, I'm the crazy one? You're putting your hope in a big house? I'm the crazy one? Beloved, it's just clearly seeing that you're here. Like you're, as compared to, you're here and it's over. It's just over. And Jesus has been constantly reminding, of, reminding us of that as we've gone through. 
So as we come to Christ, the temporal things that once meant everything begin to lose their allure. Eternal things that once seemed so otherworldly begin to become real to us. And did you notice in verse 26, there's this awesome thing. I'm back in John chapter 12. This awesome thing Jesus says. Did you notice in verse 26? If anyone serves me, let him follow me. There it is. <laughs> you know, there's Christianity. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. My servant looks like me. He's just walking in my footsteps. And if anyone serves me, the Father will what? Someone tell me. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Whoa! God's Word says that God is going to honor me? I looked for some commentary on this verse. You know, I have all these books in my library, so I'm looking for commentary. I'm not finding very much. It's one of those verses, I think, where it's too awesome to speculate what God has in store for His people. What does it mean that God would honor me? I don't know, but I bet it's awesome. Right? I bet it's awesome. Too awesome to speculate. So, let me say this. Whatever you think you're giving up for Jesus, well, you've been deceived if you think you're giving up anything for Jesus. You say, well, I gave this up. You give up dung for God. So, I don't like to hear a lot about what you've given up. I mean, you can go tell someone else, I, I'm not really interested in what you think you've given up. If you've come into relationship with Christ, <laughs> you gave up dung for God. Pleasures forever, right? As Psalm 16, I think, says. So, yeah, read the parables of the talents and the minas and look at the, this out-of-proportion reward that the, the good steward receives from God. Don't, don't talk about your sacrifice. It's not interesting. Nobody cares. Talk about, talk about how awesome He is and how He satisfies you. Talk about that. That's what we need to talk about. I've shared with you before, you know, when you give your testimony, it should be just a little... You, yeah, you're in there, but you're not in there very much. It's mostly about what He's done. Mostly about who He is and what He's done. So, two things are true here. I don't want you to forget from these verses. One is <clears throat> that truly following Jesus is sometimes hard. And the other is that truly following Jesus is always life. And I'm going to close with just reading an excerpt from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And then I'm done. Lewis says, We are considering the Christian idea of putting on Christ. What I want to make clear is that this is not one among many jobs a Christian has to do. And it is not a sort of special exercise for the top of the class. It is the whole of Christianity. Christianity offers nothing else at all. The Christian way is different. It's harder. And it's easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have, I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. 
No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Are you getting the message? He continues, Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Then he closes out. You have noticed, I expect, that Christ Himself sometimes describes the Christian way as very hard. Sometimes as very easy. He says, take up your cross. In other words, it's like going to be beaten to death in a concentration camp. The next minute he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I love how he finishes. He means both are true. Both are true. Listen, I, I want to challenge you. Spend some time maybe the next few days thinking about these texts. Particularly verse 25 and verse 26. This is the essential definition of biblical Christianity right here in these two verses. Good stuff. Good stuff. We'll continue in John 12 next week. So, let me pray. Lord, thank You for this text. Thank You for its clarity. It cannot be misunderstood. We cannot take liberty with it. It just is what it is. There is a death to die before there can be eternal life to live. So Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would drive that point home for each of us and that we are putting to death the things of the flesh. Not in some passive way, but that we are proactively at work. We are cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our own sanctification. We are putting down our worldly lusts and our selfish ambitions and our self-absorbed dreams. For God, we know from Your Word that your dreams are way better than ours. So Lord, help us to open our hands and receive, receive, receive all that You have for us. Help us, Lord, we pray. May we all, may every soul in this room hear gain when Jesus talks like this. May we all hear gain May we not be afraid. May we not back away. May we not put it out of our minds. May we pursue this kind of life. May this be our aroma unto God and to the world that we pick up our cross and we follow our great King. Lord God, we have a few minutes. I pray this would be, I pray this would be our life. Help us, Lord, we pray. In the beautiful name, the awesome name, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a closing chorus. Can we do a closing chorus?